Some of the most famous fashion designers in the U.S. today have been asked to forecast what Eve will look like in A.D. 2000. One idea is a dress that can be adapted for morning, afternoon or evening. It's the sleeves what does it. According to another artist, one dress of the future will consist of transparent net. The net, uh, probably, to catch the males. Apparently, in A.D. 2000, we shall be having a hair-raising time. Yet another designer goes so far as to believe that skirts will disappear entirely. Shoes will have cantilever heels, and an electric belt will adapt the body to climatic changes. The lightly clad woman of tomorrow, ooh, swish, will move in an atmosphere that's scientifically kept at the right temperature. So are you a big picture kind of person or a details person? Now we usually think of the big picture people as being the optimal, they're the creative, the strategic, the visionary people. And details people are the ones who are exacting, full of plans, know how to prioritize, get stuff done. Everybody wants to think that they can be a big picture person. And the fact that they're messy and disorganized or forgetful is looked at as cute or idiosyncratic or eccentric. Einstein never wore socks and had a famously messy desk. Mark Zuckerberg wears the same outfit every day. Your creative director at your agency can't be bothered to remember your name or what you do. Aren't they weird? They're just big picture people. They're misunderstood. But with details people, the shortcomings, not being able to see the forest for the trees or that you have to specialize because you simply can't discern which facts are most important, well, that's a critique for some reason. It's not eccentric. It's a fault. It's a deficiency. See, detailed people have to adopt big-picture thinking, or so goes the thinking. But big-picture people are just, well, misunderstood misanthropes. But the key is that the best of our visionaries, the best of success, has traits of both, or certainly know how to balance their own deficiencies. Steve Jobs was famous for his attention to details and exactitude, and while Richard Branson describes himself only as a vision person, he has readily admitted to surrounding himself with the detail-oriented people who can make his vision reality. We're quick to label the type A versus the type B, or the ESTP versus the ISTJ, or the ENTJ versus the INTJ in the Myers-Briggs tests. But perhaps the most important thing for us to understand or to remember is that we're not limited by our strengths and weaknesses of whether we're big picture or small picture or detail versus visionary, but we can be optimal because of those strengths. As a detailed person, we can feed the vision of a big-picture person and actually make reality happen. As a big-picture person, we can recognize we need the detailed person to execute on our dreams. And this is the theme of our show today, understanding the big picture and the details of how it's painted. And now it's time for me to close up this big picture, open up the detailed schedule, and get our little show on its critical path. You ready to cross off some to-dos? Then let's roll. Now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hey, 
Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 144 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, August 14th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the hardest-working visionary man in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? You've been uh, power-washing, I hear. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was going to tell you, my hand is still shaking. I, I can't get, it's five hours of power washing. Um, that's, and, um, as, uh, as our listeners didn't get it. And a, that's not a euphemism, folks. He actually was using a hose and water and, uh, look and at, stuff. It yes. was an hour and a half project. <laughs> and for some reason, when I get a power washer in my hand, I literally can't stop. I power washed. You left no stone unwashed, piece as, of concrete as they say. Around our house has been power washed. I feel a great sense of, of accomplishment, actually, Robert. To you should. Absolutely, you should. I don't know if I'm going to get the feeling in my right hand back, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I think it's worth it. I think, uh, I think for, for having clean sidewalk. That is it, clean. Oh, man. You should have seen it when I got to the fire pit, my friend. It was like, I was like putting out a fire. I'm like, whoa, look at this. Oh, it was, it was fantastic. And you have, yeah. it's like. I know it's preseason, but like the most exciting day for you is like the first day of regular football. Oh, come on now. I mean, it's it, it is it's like a little bit like Christmas for me and and yes, and so this week and specifically last night when my Cowboys played was the very first day of regular professional football. And yes, it's preseason and yes, 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 all the caveats. But it was fun, and and my team, you know, they they showed well. You know, they ended up losing, but but doesn't um, matter. <clears throat> it doesn't matter. My backup quarterback played very well, and the most important thing is they actually uh, they actually you know they got a lead, and and um, and they actually showed up. And football is here. I'm yes, I'm very well, very. Tony excited. Romo didn't get hurt, right? No, he didn't. That's get the hurt. best. He didn't thing. even play. That's, so yeah, so then that's that. a winner. Yeah. That, yeah. So that's all you could. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's how Thank the Cowboy season much. is going to go. If he's healthy, <laughs> yes. they'll be fine. If he's hurt, exactly they'll right. be like one in 15. It's like, that's hey, exactly on the good right. side, my Cleveland Browns, I had RG3 passing to Terrell Pryor. I mean, is there anything better than that? <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot. There's quite a bit better than that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you there's, there's, there's oh, a few things better than that. Hey. But it, 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 it started well. It didn't end well, but it started well. Well, after 52 years of losing seasons and we had the Cavs win the NBA <laughs> championship, now we actually think we can – like every – there's – it's funny. On Facebook, there's already um, somebody that put a Facebook event uh, for Cleveland that when the <clears throat> Browns win the championship, there's going to be a parade. They actually put it in. Okay. See, we're all like optimistic <laughs> Cleveland now. After glass is half full oh, there in Cleveland for sure. It's, it's on like you know what. All right. Yes. Hey, it's on. <laughs> hey, we have to. You know what we have to do before oh. we start here is um, we have to give a huge hat tip. You know, we always give hat tips, and we will even in this show to people who submit story ideas. But both of us subscribe to a newsletter, and now it's a new podcast that we just we have to throw a huge hat tip to because it's just so darn good. And it's of course Scott Monty's Full Monty um, newsletter, and now podcast. He is. Like Renaissance man with the first of all, I don't know how he finds the time to pull all these stories because they're just they're we've fabulous. talked about they're, it on the show. So those that are regular listeners of this show know that we pull yeah. a lot of information from Scott. His newsletter is one of my must read newsletters, and now that it he's is. parlayed this into a uh, a very astute podcast 
full, you know, full functioning form of Scott Monty in all its love. And his voice. Oh. He's got he's got one of the voices of God. He's got a <laughs> he's got that Paul Harvey wonderful tone. It's uh it's an FM radio voice for sure. So it's it's wonderful to listen to. So just to. yeah. So we just wanted to say hey to Scott. Huge hat check, tip. Yeah, check it out if you get a <clears> chance. It's called the Full Monty, correct? Yes, that's Full exactly Monty. right. So check it out and Scott, keep doing your thing and we'll see you in a few weeks of content marketing world. So awesome. Absolutely. And do we have uh, yeah, right, we get, was there were there any stories that were interesting there, this week? It is August and it is slow, but we do have quite a bit to talk about actually. And the first uh, news for our show comes to us courtesy of TechCrunch, that marketing wonderful juggernaut TechCrunch <laughs> um, that seems to produce Articles on marketing nonetheless, and the headline here is How Google Analytics Ruined Marketing. We got sent this, I don't know how many people, people sent this to me on email and Twitter. We're going to recognize, give a big hat tip to Robert Gibb, uh, at Gibbiv, G-I-B-B-I-V on Twitter, and the always lovely Erica Heald at SF Erica um, on Twitter for sending this over to us because it was just wonderful of them to do so. And the article opens up by saying, marketers in the high-tech world who use phrases such as social media marketing, Facebook marketing, and content marketing do not understand the basic difference between marketing strategies, marketing channels, and marketing content. And Google Analytics is to blame. That is, th those are two bold sentences to start an article out with. Um, then he goes on to say, in just over the 10 years since the release of the platform of Google Analytics in November 2005, I'm going to quibble with that in a minute, but just, to, but just moving on, too many tech marketers now ignore the difference between strategies and channels, favor digital channels that often deliver lower returns than traditional channels, and think that direct responses are the only useful ROI metric. And all of that is wrong. And he then goes on at great length. Um, to try and explain all of the reasons why he believes that is wrong. So before I go off on this, what, what did you take about this? Well, order? I know you have quite a take on this, and I'm going to sit back with my pipe and listen to it as, uh, as you go through. <laughs> but I, I do have a couple things to say. I, the, I do agree with a, a couple of these points in this article. One is it's absolutely true that enterprise marketers, small businesses, whatever, moved a lot of money to measurable digital channels even though they're not working as well as maybe what they were doing before i saw it firsthand i remember specifically there was one magazine i was working on with a technology company and they literally just wanted to go digital because they thought that was the innovative thing to do and a year sure. and a half later they went back to print um right. so it that that we have i've seen happen and i like that he said that uh, but i mentioned this to you before the show this article tries to accomplish way too much outside of the fact that I don't know if I agree with half of it. Um, but there's just what you, I don't think that you can just blame Google analytics. Uh, one thing on this, you know, flight to, Oh, we can measure everything and not everything we measure is actually useful. So I don't know, but I wanted, right. I wanted to hear your take on it and then we'll, we'll go back and forth. What do you think? Sure. Well, I, you know, so I, I, you know, as you might expect, I agree with you on this. So this article, reading this article reminded me some, do you remember the movie Night Shift with uh, Henry how Winkler could, and Michael how Keaton? How you forget Night Shift? Absolutely. <clears throat> of course. Do you remember the first scene when Michael Keaton walks in and he goes, hey, I'm an idea guy, Chuck. I'm an idea guy. Look, note to self, edible paper. And it's, it's like, that's the voice I read this article in because it just, there's so many, many ideas here 
that it's just really hard to keep up with his point of view. I mean, I I was reading the article waiting for the big reveal about how Google Analytics ruined marketing and, and never got there. Um, it just it just it goes all over. The, this is the same person, by the way, who wrote the article in TechCrunch. I don't know. It was a couple of months ago that we basically said the same thing. Lots of good points that we agree with. But quite frankly, just all over the yeah. place, over 3,500 words or however long it is, and just ends up going nowhere. I, I'll say I'll tell you two things here. One is the same thing I said last time when because I actually went back in the show notes to say what did we say last time about this guy who who, who wrote this article and 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 I'll say the same thing, which is as a student of history of marketing, which is one of my passions, geeky as it is, I, I love the history of marketing. It, there's, I, I will quibble with many of the things that he sort of uses as sort of you don't you don't understand the basics of marketing, and I'm going to say, you know what, you don't really understand the basics of marketing with some of the things that he talks about how advertising and and the difference between advertising and direct marketing and those kinds of things, and and but those are all sort of esoteric. Only marketing geeks would really appreciate that argument. What I what I want to get to is the two things that have, that that sort of stood out to me. One is this idea of people who use the words content marketing don't understand the basic difference between marketing strategy and marketing channels, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you know, as you might expect, I've got an issue <laughs> with that. Um, and so the problem is, is that he's equating all of these things together kind of, and basically saying at, at the end of it, really all we're trying to do is do direct marketing and we're trying to figure out how an integrated marketing strategy should be played out um, over different kinds of tactics and communicating through content. And this is the classic sort of, you know, I just did a talk on this at Content Jam, the wonderful event from Andy Crestina up in Chicago, where my, you know, and it's my talk this year at Content Marketing World, this whole rebooting content. Not all content is content marketing, even though all marketing has content associated with it. That's, we just need to get yeah. that through our thick skulls, is that content marketing is a type is an approach, is a methodology. It is not a type of content. And so th- it, th- that just needs to, 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 to come to the forefront. The, the next thing that I'll, I'll get to is, is certainly the fact that he spends so long going through all of this and clearly, I guess, you know, and this is especially, you can see this in the comments too, doesn't really understand the depth of Google Analytics. Um, Google Analytics can do quite a bit more than what he's talking about doing here. And, and you know, it's it's got a lot of capabilities. Mind you, it is all about transactions, measuring transactions and digital transactions at that. But it can give you a lot of insight when you apply it well. Most people don't, but it can give you a lot of insight. So I just, you know, this... it. This article is all over the place, and and my my fear is is that just like the other article, new marketers read this kind of stuff and go and and walk away more confused than they do helped. And so I guess well, that's that's, my that's point the issue that I have. And of course, <clears throat> talk specifically about you know our beloved content marketing, and honestly doesn't know what the approach of content marketing is. Uh, you can, you can, uh, right. it's obvious he's using content marketing as something different than you and I and everyone that listens to this podcast knows about it. And what you said it really That's well. Right. Content marketing is an approach. It is a strategy, actually. It is a strategy to build audience over a period of time by delivering them something valuable outside the products and services that we offer. That is as strategic as you can possibly get. 
in the marketing department, and he's he brings it re- just back to the tactical. Oh, it's content, so it must be video. It must be textual. It, well, right. the content marketing as we use it is, to your point, it's not just content. It is the approach itself. So I think we just have to say that in and of itself. I. It's so funny how many people sent us this. It must be just because he threw he throws out the content marketing like that bashes it down. But I think you can have a social media strategy. I think you can have a content marketing strategy right. um, and just throws that, oh, this is the way we've been marketing forever. Don't try to change it with your new lingo. Well, you know, right. things have changed a little bit. You know, in the last thirty years, they the, the consumer they have a little the consumer bit, yes. now has total control <clears throat> over the informational flow. That means we have to be a little bit different. We can't just do the direct response stuff. Well, he he's, he talks about direct marketing in here like it's horrible. Direct marketing is not horrible. It can be, but <clears throat> right. All exactly. I all by listening to this, you know, you heard Michael Keaton. I heard get off my lawn. That's all I heard with this one. <laughs> he's too young, though. He's too young for the get off my lawn. He's, you know, the, he needs, you know, this, I mean, it goes right to the theme of the show. I mean, he, to, in my opinion, and, and the funny thing is, is that he, if you read his bio, he's got a, he's got a journalism background. And so he needs a good editor. He needs somebody to turn that 3000 word rant and somebody said in the, I don't know if you saw it in the comments, basically somebody said, <laughs> it makes me laugh when you just say, it. somebody read, uh, somebody said the comments, it's like, you know, I, I don't really understand all the stuff you're saying, but you really seem butthurt about the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's just, it, it, it just comes across as very ranty, the whole thing. It's just like. You know, it's just like, slow down. There's some good points in here, but you need to figure out which one you want to make in this post. Well, look, it. I'm not going to throw TechCrunch under the bus here, <clears throat> but I can tell you firsthand that if this came through, let's say, Content Marketing Institute, our editors would be all over this working with him to make sure that he got out one key idea and some real clear takeaways. Yeah. This, this is five articles. Yeah, exactly. And probably two exactly. that you would never use. That's so, right. That's so I, right. I mean, there's some good, like, look, look, I want to be complimentary where it's appropriate. There's some good stuff in there, like where he talks about how we don't try and figure out um, ROI on, uh, on, on advertising or on marketing because that's like trying to say what's the ROI on telephone, which is actually a line that I you say, say it all the time. In, I say it all my, all the time, you know, where I say, look, blaming content marketing for a poor ROI is like blaming the telephone for a poor ROI. It is in the execution. Write that article, right? Write that article or write the article that says that we're too focused on small transactions and web visits and traffic and that and not focused on the big issues which would tee up his little infographic that he loves his little four p stuff really which i think great. was in the There's last some good one stuff too in here. i think that i think it that was. was in the last it was it was totally too. in so the last really one because i went back and really looked. pushing that methodology so yeah yeah I, yeah i don't know i i guess to your point i just I get scared if somebody reads this and they do something with it. Right. So say, and, this, oh, you know, and the challenge is that the, the uh, you know, social media market. Yeah, the people who read this are the people who read TechCrunch, the marketers who read TechCrunch, which are probably in the most part, I'm, I'm guessing here, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing are going to be mostly new startup companies that are looking to make their way in the marketing practice. And, you know, as we talked about on last show, right now, marketing people are coming out of university ill-prepared to deal with today's 
marketing landscape, this article doesn't help them. I think it, I think you should realize that you said about Google Analytics, like doing some good things. We use, I mean, you really use go- Google Analytics is well, great for what yeah, you're using you can, it for. You can it's a see great tool. The behavior of people exactly and what they're doing on tool. the site it's and the most popular articles, and we take that information and we go back. Not a lo- let alone that drive subscribers. We can tell which articles go specifically and drive a subscriber, but we, we can tell what's working and what's not working. And so that right. the editorial team loves that. So that that's exactly. kind of insight that we want to see. And I, you know, I don't think it it has killed anything. <laughs> no, it's not killed anything. It's helped. It's absolutely helped. So it's absolutely so helped. All right, shall we move yeah, along? Why not? Now? Let's do it. All sure. right. All right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. All right. My yeah, hand right. is still Next my story. hand is still shaking, but I'm. <laughs> I think I can make it through. I'll keep you. There's so many I'll, jokes. There are so I'll many jokes that are right there, but I'm trying to keep our family friendly tag I here. So. Well, you know, I'm. I'm, I'm I, <laughs> let's just move on. <laughs> I'm going to move along here to our next story, which comes to us courtesy of Digiday.com. The headline here: No agencies have this breadth of content, says Accenture. Inside Accenture's $600 million content business. Article opens up by saying, when a big software company needed to create training materials for its 1,500 U.S. salespeople last year, it could have done it in-house. Another option was to reach out to a content studio or an agency. Instead, the company, which declined to be named, turned to Accenture's content practice. Quote, no agencies have the breadth of content that we have, said Donna Tooths, Tooths, I guess, head of digital content at Accenture Interactive, the agency service within Accenture. Uh, We are not just focused on promotional content for ad campaigns, but also enterprise content for internal communications. I thought this was really interesting given the given where we we talked about a couple of shows ago where the Madison Avenue agencies are being disrupted in a big way by the PWCs and Accentures and those kinds of companies. I think this is a really interesting model because I happen to know that they also do they don't talk about it in this article but I we have clients that have used Accenture for content marketing and 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 um uh and well I'll just leave it at that but but they are doing content marketing as well they're you know they're they're manning blogs they're writing white papers they're doing they've got stuff. a full yeah I mean they've got a full production facility that they I mean they yeah, have a exactly. large group I mean what does the article say they have is it? It wasn't in the thousands. They're doing video. They're doing. They're they're doing writing. They're doing on site stuff. They're doing events. They're yeah. It's a whole thing. Well, how, oh, here it is. Accenture Interactive's content practice alone employs around five thousand full time staffer, staffers globally. Is yeah. that real? Is that a thing? Because if that's true, well, if that's you, true, and and I guess we've got to put it in perspective. Not all of this is what we would consider part of a content marketing approach. Correct. C- c- just b- just basically understand that it's that's Accenture Interactive. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so you've got coding people. You've got HTML people in there. You've got a lot of people in India. You've got a lot. It's not five thousand people sitting over in New York somewhere. But but there's a lot. It's a big it's a big operation. So do you think that this is good for agencies? Bad or, or it's just this is part of what we've been talking about, seeing the continuing approach of companies like this and other companies like publishers and other niche players getting into the publishing business. I think. Well, here's what here's what I think. I think ultimately this is a. I don't know how do I put this. This is I'm going to touch on my rant here, which is at the end of the show, obviously, but. I think this is a dangerous 
carrot in front of brand marketers right now. I think there is a real, and I see this every day with the clients that we visit with and the people that we talk to, and, and we'll see it here in a couple of weeks at Content Marketing World. There is a real danger that instead of getting good at content, we just basically scale to feed the yeah. machine. There's a real pressure to do that right now in marketing, which is basically, you know what? We need to both be good at quality and we need to be able to feed the machine. Not, it's not true, by the way, I don't believe, but, but there's a real pressure there. And this is basically, it makes content creation a commoditized service that is ultimately available by just throwing bodies at it. And it is, you know, it is not dissimilar from basically throwing factory workers at creating stuff and it becomes cheap. It becomes, you know, easy to do. It becomes low risk, quite frankly. Um, and I think it's dangerous ultimately. And so I, you know, as a, as a service that will last, I don't believe it will last as a service that will be very popular in the short term, I think it's it's very, very well, that's, popular in the that short term. That was my concern. I think you touched upon this. My concern is that the whatever problems they might have, whatever when they go in and they're dealing with their strategy, it looks like, oh, you need a content studio. We can, we'll help you. Yeah. We of got course. that model. And they actually say Bam. that in, in the article, they talk about that. They say basically one of the biggest things that they are asked for is strategy these days. The, they actually say that in the article. Now, how they're delivering that strategy and what the strategy is and when it's and when they're coming out of it going, yeah, you know what? You don't need a content studio. You actually need to reduce the amount of content you're already creating and just focus everybody around creating amazing stuff. I'm, I'm going to guess that that's relatively a rare occurrence. Well, yeah. <laughs> so any agency that's going in and they have, have you and I run it, we <laughs> right. say it all the time, but I haven't run into any agency that says, you know what? I don't think you should be producing this much content, especially with <laughs> us. Let's really ramp that down, please. I don't want to pay my bills this month. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. we're seeing, of course it's a self-serving thing and they're saying, Hey, we want more and more and more. And this is, this is a. I think this is a real could be. A, now I don't want to say that Accenture is part of this problem, but when I read an no, no, article I, like no, this, look, that's that's, well, a, that's here, the warning sign that I feel is that oh my gosh, they're just throwing this. Oh, let's create this content factory like we talked about in two thousand six, two thousand seven, but they renamed it. The content factory is now called a content studio, and that's in vogue right. for everyone to have today. And Marriott's doing it. Red Bull did it, so we have to do it. And I think that you just have to put up. You know, if to say stop for a second and really look at it, because I think everyone's situation is different because everyone's customer is different. That's right. And so, and to be clear, this article speaks specifically to they don't actually talk about content marketing in this article. I just happen to know that they also do it, but they're actually talking about things like training materials and internal comms and those kinds of things where you're trying to get content created. And there's every reason to outsource some of those kinds of projects to a company like Accenture. It's, it's a very, very good way to get something massive done in a short period of time. Because, of course, you're not going to scale your business up to do something like that. A big price. We'll here's, a, here's a great example. We will talk in the This Old Marketing example. We're going to talk about something that is very seasonal for this company to do. And it's a perfect application for outsourcing that kind of job to a company like Accenture. But 
the idea of an ongoing process, the idea of content marketing as a function in the business should be an operation, not a project. And so when we start thinking about outsourcing the entire operation, as you just said, as a factory or as a content studio, that's where it gets dangerous because then scale basically outweighs quality in so many ways because quite frankly it's just more it's just less expensive to keep creating more and hedging our bets that some of it will be good instead of sort of taking a step back and going you know what let's really try and be impactful and and creative here and actually reduce what we're you know polluting the internet with yeah i i guess if i had as we wrap this one up if if i had a do-over with the title I wouldn't have said, and I know it's great. It's a great uh, title. It says Inside Accenture 600 million content business, but I don't think that's true. I think that that's like when I say, when I think content business, I'm thinking of a content marketing approach. I don't think they're doing that much business uh, taking a content marketing approach. Unless I'm, they're not. I, they're not. I, I would guarantee they're not. So, well, I can't guarantee. That's a lot of other I'll, content. I'll, that's a lot of marketing. I'll double dog content. dare guarantee. How about yeah. that? That's my that's my double dog dare. It's all good. Guarantee. But, but any that's that that means I don't know what the heck I'm talking yeah, about. But, but anyways, we'll we'll see how all that goes. <laughs> Do either of us know what we're talking about? Absolutely not. We're just a couple of chuckleheads that get on the phone every week and and just rant about I mean, stuff. If somebody says, "Joe and Robert, you don't know what you're talking about." I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah, that's, you're that's what your point is. <laughs> it's like we never said we did. We're just, we did exactly. just sort of have fun talking. You're the one listening. <laughs> we told you not to listen to us. Uh, do we have another one? Oh, right. Yes, we have one more story to talk about here. This one comes courtesy of adage.com, and it's our favorite whipping boy, Facebook. Um, and Facebook's, uh, this one is a fascinating article. This was the big news, actually, this week. This is the one that made the mainstream media. Um, Facebook cripples ad blockers on its site, but gives consumers new control over ads. Big hat tip here to Adam Frazier, Adam, at Adam2014. Adam, looks like you need to update your, uh, your Twitter handle there. You're a couple years old there. Anyway, this one cuts both ways, says the article. At least from a consumer perspective, Facebook is simultaneously making it easier for users to control what ads it shows them and harder for ad blockers to work on its site. The new ad preferences let people tell Facebook not to serve them ads from particular companies that may be targeting them. If a consumer is on a brand's email list, for example, she can prevent the brand from using her email to find her on Facebook. Facebook's preferences will now show users the advertisers that have them on email lists and present them with the option to stop receiving ads from those brands. This. So what did you think about this? I don't know the specifics of... And that's what I was – as I read the article, it basically talked about how – or the, the ad blocker people were like, well, we can get through anyways. And even though Facebook is is setting up their preferences in a way that, oh, yeah, ads can be good. Ads can be wanted if we set it up right. I don't know if the ad servers, the ad blockers can come up and actually block something that's in the walled garden of Facebook. It sounds like they can. Is this a – they actually – you can you actually – if you have an ad blocking service – can you block a native ad inside the Facebook platform? I don't know that you can block a native ad in the feed, but you can certainly block the banners on the right rails and those those kinds of things. Got it. Okay, very good. So yes. that's pretty much what we're talking I think that if I'm reading this correctly, this is something that Facebook's going to continue to do that is a good thing. They want 
uh, they want their advertisers to actually create better content. So basically what, what I took from it is something that's going to help consumers is if you are an advertiser and you put up a really bad piece of advertising, you, you basically get penalized by Facebook for doing that because people are going to say, I don't want that kind of uh, advertisement in front of me. They're going to block it. And then fa- that doesn't help Facebook because Facebook wants to serve ads. So you actually have to up the ante on the creative. So that I think is good. Um, I think that this is something that I don't know if this is news to me, though. I think Facebook is going to continue to do this and they're going to do whatever they have to do to keep ad blockers out of their walled garden. <laughs> Let me tell you why this is news. This is this is this is one of those moments that there's a PR person somewhere going, "Oh, this tastes so good." This is they they made something really delicious here because look what they did. They basically said they had to come out and basically say, "Look, we're going to start blocking ad blockers. You're going to have to." You know, Facebook, you're not going to be able Facebook to use Facebook. This, if, basically. Facebook yeah. says this, right? And they're like, oh, but we got to make that. How are we going to make that palatable? Because we're going to come out and say we're going to block ad blockers and everybody's going to freak out. There's those two chuckleheads on the, that PNR show. They're going to get all up in our soup about, you know, how we're, how we're doing ad blockers and all, you know, all these people are going to be upset with us. I know what we'll do. We'll simultaneously add a new little feature where you can go in and basically select if you want to look at all the people who have your email address and select which advertisers you won't actually be able to see ads from or, or get targeted from. Guess how many of their consumers are really going to go do that? Like none. None. Yeah. Like zero of them. Like I'm going to tell my wife to go do this and she's going to say, what? It's like, like what, the what number of people about? that updates their privacy settings. Nobody exactly. Does. Nobody's going to do this. So it's a wonderful way for them to couch a bad piece of news which is basically we're going to start blocking ad blockers because we have to be able to monetize, you know, Facebook. Oh, and by the way, you can go in there at some point. Look, you and I didn't even take the time to go do this, right? And, we, and we're talking about it for a living. And so there will be a very, very, very small percentage of people who actually go in there and start clicking buttons and saying, hey, I, want, I don't want this person to, un, you know, to target me and I don't want this person to be able to target me. That is a very small percentage. And quite frankly, the advertisers don't want those people either. They don't want that. So they're just as happy to not waste an impression on those people. So it's a filtering mechanism. It's a win-win and it's a beautiful PR stunt, basically. Oh, I, I, now I can see that. Absolutely. You read right through. I mean, they are so smart, though. I mean, they really oh, it's brilliant. Are. Oh, it's wonderful. Because what we're talking about is basically look at the headline on AdAge gives consumers new control over ads. But basically, if the, if it had only said Facebook cripples ad blockers on its site, everybody, the world would have melted. Right. I mean, it would have been this huge thing. Now it's just, you're right. You're actually right. It's not much news. It's not a big news item. Because quite frankly, it ain't. It, it, the, they balanced it out by saying we're, you know, we're giving consumers all these new controls, and people don't care about that. People don't care about getting the new controls to control their advertising. They only care when we take away the, you know, the ability to to block it. And you caught them. No, <laughs> I did you not catch did. them. I'm sure I did you, not catch I, them. You know what? I am not the only person here that 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 can see through this if, for sure. Uh, I would, um, you know, I'd look out your window. And uh, I would be, they have very powerful a, people. I just, I just looked out my window and there's some dude with a hoodie on at the, at, at my, at my driveway. 
he seems to be holding something. Oh my you're gosh. The, you're on the Facebook watch list now. Now you have to be. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go for walks by yourself. Just saying oh that my I gosh, care I'm about on you the too Facebook much for that watch to list. <laughs> Gives a whole new definition to the word poker. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. All right. Hey, we have a we have our favorite world oh, sponsor course, to talk of about. Of course we do. And and uh those of you that have been listening, you know that in August, every August, we reserve the sponsorship for August to promote all things Content Marketing World. Now, if you are not familiar with the event, Content Marketing World, it is the planet's largest in-person event around the approach, or should I say a strategy, of content marketing. <laughs> Last year, 30. Around that nonsense called content marketing that you shouldn't know, be doing. And we are, uh, let's see, it's September 6th to 9th. So I think from when we're recording this right now, we're like... Three and a half weeks out? Is that right? Yeah, About that? three and a half weeks. Oh, it's amazing. man. So if you haven't signed up by now, what is wrong with you? Like, come on. you got to get going. 3,500 oh. marketers from over 50 countries attended the event in Cleveland, Ohio last year. We are expecting more this year. We're super excited about that. And uh, the attendee list is first rate. 40 of the Fortune 100 are represented. Uh, might be even a little bit better than that. we got brand speakers, including Lego and Bank of America and Visa and GE and Google and all those other no-name com- companies <laughs> uh, that we don't know about. And then, <clears throat> excuse me. Of course, we like to have a little fun. Our closing keynote is Mr. Mark Hamill. And then, by the way, a little news. You saw that uh, Kenny Baker passed away, right? I did see that. Oh, it was very sad. I saw that, that Mark Hamill put a little, you know, heartbroken type thing. So, oh. yeah, it was kind of kind of cool that he did that. Hall of Fame band, Cheap Trick, as well as performing. CM World is September 6th through 9th, and we want all of our PNR listeners to be there. Do this right now. Go to contentmarketingworld.com. Use right. discount code PNR200. PNR200 to save $200 off the final price. Uh, we are like 93% full downtown. So please make your hotel reservations as well. I would like you not to be you know, staying out at the airport and stuff like that. So make sure you do that. We've got lots of space uh, with the new hotel. But, of course, more people, more demand. And And by the way, uh, Robert Rose and Joe Polizzi will be also speaking at this event, along right. with those other no-name brands. So I can't <laughs> believe it's coming up so fast. I mean, of course, it's amazing. It's it's I I I should probably get to work um, and do some stuff. Well, yeah. we just got the new research in, so the new re- I'm, we're looking at the the high level data right now, so I can do the keynote and see what we have, had a lot of new question had added a lot of new questions this year. So it'll it'll I be know. as I you know. know, yeah, you went through it, so. It should be interesting. So, All right, then. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we've got a big idea or something that makes us feel like we're trapped in infinite detail, like a 3,500-word <laughs> blog post on something. All right. Um, and let's see. I have uh, this old marketing this week. Um, so I'm going to go first, and I guess we both have rants this week. This is kind of a ranty, a ranty show. show. Um, so yeah, I have a rant this week. Um, and this is, you know, I'm going to try and not make this too ranty, but it was it was pretty ranty when I wrote it. And so it's, uh, yeah. So anyway, so I spent a lot, I spent way, a lot of, most weeks, I don't spend three and a half hours on this rant um, or or rave, quite frankly. I spent a lot long time in this because I, I I wanted to try and understand it and never quite got there. The link that we'll put in the show notes is from emarketer.com. 
Um, and basically, the headline of the article is uh, how marketers benefit by automating content creation. Um, and it's a study that was done uh, by Forrester Consulting, not to be confused with Forrester Research, Forrester Consulting. Um, and what they did was they conducted a study across industries, both B2C and B2B, very broad. Um, and the study itself, I, I couldn't find an actual published study, but they actually talked about it in a webinar. So I went and watched the entire one-hour webinar because, and you're welcome, by the way, because I wanted to understand this thing so that I could bring it to you because I wanted to understand if there truly was a benefit to automating my content creation in the enterprise. So they go through the, the study, and basically the argument building up for this is that they come away, here's some of the results of the study. Here's just bullet points, right? They find two-thirds of marketers, Joe, basically use data from loyalty programs to create personalized offers. Two-thirds of marketers use behavior data to develop the right content based on insights and emotions. Two-thirds of marketers use customer data to create individualized content and offers by channel, integrating customer data, and create individualized personal, person, <clears throat> excuse me, personalized content and offers across all the channels. I, I'm sorry, I don't believe any of that. I, I, I do not believe two-thirds of marketers are really doing mm -hmm. that. But I'm going to put that aside for a second because I don't want to question the research. So then they asked customers. So then they, so they asked both, right? So they went to both marketers and business, and then they went to customers and said, great, now what do you think about personalization and, the, and, and sort of the marketer's ability to do that? They basically said that half of customers were satisfied or very satisfied with the brand's ability to deliver personalized content. That means half aren't satisfied, but okay, it's one of your favorite things I know in studies where they sort of like, it's half people said that they're dissatisfied. Well, that means half are set anyway, but it's hardly an overwhelming difference, right? Only 42% said that brands understood their emotional needs. So when I look at that data, so I just did, and look, I'm no research expert here, but I look at those re results and that tells me that personalized content, personalization doesn't equate to emotional impact. So I just look at the research researchers. I mean, it makes sense to me anyway, as a hypothesis that just because it's personalized doesn't mean that it's emotional, but they're equating those two things in this research study by basically saying, if it's personalized, if it's really relevant to you, then it's, it, it scales better or works better across an emotional um, uh, spectrum. And I don't think that's true. But anyway, moving on, the study then found that all these marketers are doing all this wonderful work of collecting behavioral data and doing all this stuff. And then, they, of course, they go on and ask customers. And customers, again, said that, that no, most marketers are not doing a good job of this. Now, here's the thing. The Forrester actually came out with a study. Forrester Research came out with a study that's talked about how badly marketers were really doing on delivering compelling emotional customer experiences. And I, I looked at that research. I thought it was great. Then I look at this and I go, okay, but they're basically saying that the automate, the benefit of the automation of creation of content is in personalizing the experience. And I just, I can't even begin to understand how that is the same thing. And it's just, it, it really irked me for some reason that, that, that we're trying to basically equate the idea of if you can just get good at personalizing and making lots and lots of different versions of content, then of course you're going to be able to be more emotional and creative with it. And therefore, thus, you should automate the creation of content because that will help you scale to more versions of it. 
I just had a really hard time drawing that all the way out to the line. Now, just to cut to the end, because I don't want to overblow this whole thing, I watched the whole webinar, and the solution here, the actually solution that is from this company called Persado, is actually pretty neat. It's a really neat solution. I actually browsed through their whole website, went through a product demo, did the whole thing, right? What it does is that it uses artificial intelligence, or I didn't see any evidence of artificial intelligence, but it talks about AI and machine learning and all this stuff. But it basically automatically creates things like headlines and offers and short snippets of content to get better conversions. And they use a couple of examples there where they're like, they change, you know, save now for 12 months to, oh my gosh, you'll save now if you just act now, you know, basically changing the line to be more quote unquote centered on an emotional reaction, whether it's achievement and they go through the sort of classic um, five or seven stages of emotional um, sort of spectrums there. So that's a great solution as sort of an A-B testing of an offer on steroids, but it has nothing to do with automating the creation of content in large scale. And just like the other thing that I talked about with the article before, this is the kind of thing that I'm just seeing out there that is just giving marketers confusion in this space. They're saying, great, we, you mean we can automate the creation of content and scale and feed that ever-demanding sales team with content? Let's go do that. Let's go buy a technology solution to do that so that we can limit ourselves to doing stuff like pushing buttons and looking at Excel spreadsheets and seeing how it's all doing. That's the commodity. That's the, the, the creation of the content is the important thing. That's, that's the important thing is how we get creative and get wonderfully creative with the creation of our content. Automate the display, the optimization, all that stuff. Great. Go automate that. But stop thinking about automating the creation of what we're trying to do because that's where we as creative marketers add our value. Sorry, that's the end of my rant. That was a long rant. Sorry. That's, <clears throat> yeah. that's fine. I, uh, I actually left for a while, came back. No. <laughs> No, it was. <clears throat> I oh my. I have to. T- no, no, no. I have to tell you the whole personalized content thing that we've been hearing about. I just, I'm oh, I'm getting over it. I, I, I don't. I'm not even interested in it anymore because most there's we're a not role doing for the personalization. If there is there's a, role. a right. That's exactly right. There's a role for personalization, but the number of the number of first of all the number of companies that need personalization is very small. The second, the people that need to do personalization, it's so far down the funnel. As I like to say, personalized content isn't shared. That's not the content we're talking about. It's not, don't, don't overuse the personalization as sort of a magic bullet to get some conversion that's not going to come. Basically, personalization is a great thing once I know, once I want to interact with you as a buyer. Now, personalize the heck out of it. I, I really want it pers- personalized. Up until then, I just want it to be relevant and compelling and, quite frankly, surprising to me. But that's the real thing. Surprise me. Delight me. That has nothing to do with personalization. No, it's interesting. I was uh, Kathy McPhillips, our uh, VP of marketing, and I were at a an, an event for <clears throat> event people. And there was an email person on stage that was talking about, she said, I've been in this industry for 20 years and still we send our emails out the same, the same way. We have one database. We have one email message. We send that email message to the database and we see what happens. It hasn't changed. So for the most right. part, because if you want to do personalized content, I know they're talking about automated content in your rant here, but if you want to do personal, you have to set it up and say, okay, who's our persona? How do we link that in the data? What's the offer? What are we going to change in the content? It's a lot. Right. It's a lot of work. 
to do that. Exactly. That's why nobody you does You don't it. have time to write one set of personalized content, much less the personalized content for every single person in your database. Oh, my gosh. My stomach doesn't feel good, no. No. <laughs> Your hands my, are shaking in your my hands shaking. I can't. Power I can't find my hand. Um, anyways, <laughs> all right. What's your mine rant? is not nearly as long, but I wanted to have a oh, conversation <laughs> with you about it because I uh, heard this. <clears throat> I'm getting the feeling that mine no, was no, long. No, 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 no. Is Here's that what this, you're saying? I, I so appreciate that you spend time on this. I do. I really right. do. I spent three seconds finding this one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I wanted to mention this, and then you and I talked a little bit before the show about this, so I wanted to bring your your take in on it as well. But basically, this article's from Marketing Land. Uh, it's entitled, Blab Shuts Down Its Live Video Platform. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Blab, you know, I'll just read the, the first part. Um, Blab, the live video chat platform that launched in early 2015 and quickly grew to almost 4 million users, has closed its door. Co-founder Sean Puri, I think, announced Friday, late Friday, saying that the website and app would be shut down immediately. And actually, there's a lot of people online that are really upset about this, Robert, because they just took it down. They they really didn't give a lot of warning. They just said, "Hey, we are done." There's a lot links. of people in my Facebook feed who were like, "WTF, man?" Yeah, just like <laughs> links don't work and whatever. And it goes on to say, "Blab was sort of a middle ground between Periscope, single user video, and Google Hangouts." I wanted I have one take on this, and this is my my sort of rant. And then I wanted to get yours in here, and I pulled that article. Um, there were so many people that I talked to that went, and I don't have any problem with it, but this is something that as marketers you have to keep in mind. They ran to this platform. First thing, hey, we're going to try this. We're going to do it, and that's great, just like Ello, right? Hey, we're going to be, Ello's right. going to be the next greatest right. thing. We're going to run, run, run. Everybody wastes a lot of time doing it, and then without any warning, done. We're not doing it anymore, gone. And that hurts because there's a lot of people, a lot of people that you and I know that had, quite significant audiences going with this. It was it was seemingly working for them. And yeah, then, you know, the exactly. business model didn't work here for Blab, so Blab is dead, and, and here you go. So just another warning to say, you be careful with platforms that you have no control over. Uh, and we've seen the same thing. I remember, like, LinkedIn, when they, they said, oh, you gotta, you got to make your product and services page on LinkedIn, like, all that. It's got to be fantastic. And then LinkedIn <laughs> changed all the rules with that, and it pretty much doesn't even matter anymore what you do on there anymore because LinkedIn is always changing it, which is their prerogative to do. They can do whatever they want to do. But the, when you and I were talking before, and I pulled this article from Medium, it's called uh, Blab is Dead, Long Live Blab. This is from the co-founder, Sean Puri. And this is the one I didn't realize, and so I wanted to get your take on it as well. So he, he go, Sean goes through what went wrong with Blab, and this is funny when you told me this. So what went wrong, number one? Most live streams suck. So basically, <laughs> he had the idea to do this multiple-user video chat thing, thinking that the content was just going to be It was going to be brilliant. Just Brilliant. <laughs> Right. So basically, it says of, of the 3.9 million total users, only 10%, less than around 400,000, came back on a regular basis. Um, I mean, that goes to the fact that a lot of these shows weren't consistent. A lot of people just people just tried Blab to see what was going on. But I think it's funny that the co-founder comes out and says, ah, content's, content's no good. It's your fault. It's not our fault. <laughs> our- Can you imagine? The, here's, here's, the, here's the corollary. Can you imagine? Alexander Graham Bell invents the telephone. 
And about five or six months after the telephone gets invented, they go, yeah, the quality of conversations on this thing just isn't there. We're going to kill it. <laughs> isn't that so funny? It's By the way, that's not the problem because if you no, look on Facebook, the most of the content on Facebook is pretty bad too. So yeah. I would probably say like maybe 10% is halfway decent. So yeah, yeah I don't blaming the content is definitely not the, the content, not the problem. Uh, maybe the, no. the business model or something. There's a whole bunch of other ones they, they go through. But my whole take is as a marketer, small business, just be careful. I mean, I made the, yeah. I think we talked about this last week, Robert. I made the case to a bunch of small businesses. Oh, and we got an email from one of our listeners too about the same thing about Facebook saying, you know, today you, you could make a case that you don't even need a Facebook page today. You could make a case oh, that you sure. don't you need to distribute to your that. content on Facebook today. Absolutely. So it's just, let's just all calm down a little bit. Things are changing. <laughs> Things are changing awfully fast. Don't go running. And that's one of the one of the reasons why I purposely... Don't go yeah. chasing waterfalls. Well, I purposely stayed away from Snapchat, too, for that reason. I don't want to go jumping into right. something where it's not going to last. Just don't want yeah. to. Well, we're in the minority there, just so you know. Just we're in the we're you and I are in the minority there. So I know a lot of people are saying Snapchat's the next thing. So well, maybe that it is the thing. Uh, yeah, it may be, but uh, may but be. not not for me this year. I'm not making the time to do it because that's the thing. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it consistently. Well, that's exactly right. And uh, yeah, I don't exactly know if right. a lot of people want to know like every part of my life. It's not that interesting. <laughs> what are they going to like? What would I show today? Like just me power washing today? <laughs> You're going to oh, show you power here's washing. Here's another snap. Here's his 30 oh. second snap of Joe's hand now, shaking. Now, yeah, now he's always power. He, now he's on the sidewalk. Oh, he's over to the patio. Well, you could have gotten that. You could have got you could have gotten that sponsored. Some power. The, whoever the name of the power washer would have totally sponsored. Oh, you. or Nature Stone. Yeah, there oh, you the go. Power washer too. Oh man, I'm, see, I'm missing out on so many opportunities. <laughs> yeah, see, you know, you're you're just you're this, not I'm you're not hustling, man. You're not wrong, hustling, Robert. I, this is <laughs> terrible. Anyways, what do we have? A we have anyway, a Tom. That we have a wonderful this old marketing to talk about. Absolutely, we do. Um, this huge, by the way, hat tip to Casey Boyce. Uh, on Twitter, he's at Casey Boyce B O Y C E. So go follow him um, and. He sent this over literally as a link to just one of the news announcements. And then I, um, I spent about an hour sort of researching this whole thing and to come up with the story here. And it's just a, it's a wonderful one. And the couple of links we'll put in the show notes here. Um, this is from We Energies as Wisconsin Energy. It's an energy um, company, basically an electric service company, uh, utility that provides service to customers in portions of Wisconsin, Michigan's Upper Peninsula, the UP, um, and then they also have natural gas customers and also in Wisconsin, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so every year for the last 90 years, they have produced what they call their cookie book. Um, and the first one was made in 1928. And I guess it's coming. They do it every year around the holidays and they're starting to get the buildup going now. So this was re- this release that <clears throat> on social that 
was sent to us um, with sort of like the, oh my gosh, the cookie book distribution schedule is out. I mean, that's how popular this thing has become. It's become now a, a thing when they've announced their distribution schedule for this thing coming out. The first book that they made was in 1928, um, and it was basically started by one of the economists there who worked for Wisconsin Electric Company. Um, the purpose of the book was basically to teach people, and very similar to other ones that we've talked about on this show, was basically to teach people how to use all these new electric appliances that they had in their homes. And as part of that, they had sort of, you know, here's the instructions on how to use this new thing called a washer and a dryer and all these things. But they also made what they called their cookie book, um, which were recipes for new cookies and really interesting recipes. And that tradition stuck. And so in the links of the show notes, we'll include this wonderful video where they sort of talk through that history. Um, and yeah, by the way, this thing gets live news stream coverage every year. They've got reporters down where they have the event where they distribute the books. Um, and the host in this video, he, he asks why he says, why has this become such a timeless and valuable piece? Um, and the Wisconsin Energy spokesperson says, well... The first thing is it's about tradition. Many people are saying, my grandmother got this book, now my mom got the book, and now I get this book. And so they release the book every single year, um, and even the launch, as I mentioned, gets this big deal. They have press releases, they have an event that coincides with the release, they have hot cocoa, you can take a picture with Santa. Basically, they give away 200,000 copies of the book every single year across different locations. Um, so then they also, of course, do digital versions, so their website has not only recipes from the book, but integrated um, into emails that they send, but also into their social media. They also have a complete section of their website that posts all the covers going back to the 1930s. Um, and of course, it's got, you know, a, the, uh, it's all over their Facebook page and Twitter account as well. Just a, just a great example um, of embellishing basically customer satisfaction, because this is all about customer satisfaction, which is how they measure it. Really, their community outreach every single year making the brand more than just an industrial brand that you pay a bill to, but adding that human wonderful component to why you pay your electric bill every month. Um, and yeah, basically some encouragement to guess what? Use your ovens more frequently to bake some cookies. And now just for fun, I just totally did this for fun. So before you write in, my math is off. Like I'm there, there, I was told in marketing there would be no math, but I did some math anyway. And I said, if we assume that everybody who bakes cookies... Um, is about it, they use an oven that's about 2,000 watts. And I looked up on Google and found that that's the average wattage for an oven. So that's two kilowatt hours if you do it for, if you make a batch of cookies over two hours. In other words, if you have the oven on for two hours, that's two kilowatt hours um, that you can um, create that, you know, uh, for how much money you would spend basically. So over, um, so over time, that would be 12, at 12 cents per kilowatt hour, or basically about, a quarter per batch of cookies. In other words, you're going to spend a quarter for every batch of cookies you make. And let's say 80%, and maybe that's high, of the 250,000 books that are distributed actually make one additional batch of only, and only one additional batch of cookies. Um, I mean, why would you go get the book if you're not going to make an additional batch of cookies? Well, that's 200,000 extra batches of cookies at four kilowatt hours, at a, or a quarter rather, um, $62,000 of extra revenue. Now, I know that's a drop in the bucket for Wisconsin Energy, but it just starts to show you that it can actually, it doesn't hack, you know, how much do they spend on the books? I don't know, but, um, you know, it maybe it's, maybe it's $62,000, maybe it's a lot more than $62,000, but 
it's um, it's an interesting thing about how this kind of marketing program can even start to maybe help pay for itself over time. Anyway, definitely a huge crowd pleaser, wonderful customer satisfaction piece, and just a great example of this. That was great. Now, who sent that in again? That was Casey Boyce, uh, who has sent in a few things. Oh, for the show. that's yeah. Thanks, Casey. Yeah. We can't yeah. thank our audience enough for sending yeah, these. Yeah, it's fantastic when, stuff. It's really, really great. We were so can't believe we're you know 140 plus episodes in and we still have fresh ones going. It's because of them. I know. It's because know. of them. It really is. So, what's your uh, what's your week look like, my friend? It, it is heads down working on my workshop, working on the panel, working on my presentation. It's just heads down, work, 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 getting work, ready work, for work, a work, content work, marketing work, work. world and, <laughs> and hopefully coming up with something interesting to say for all those wonderful people who are going to spend money to come spend some time in Cleveland. I'm going to spend my week in meditation this week and then I'm go- next week I'm going to start the <laughs> keynote. Because uh, I'm not quite there yet. I have to wait for that moment. Yeah, it takes hit. me a while. So. I have to wait yeah. for my hand to stop shaking. And then I'm, then I'm going to start <laughs> on my, my keto. So well, have, a, have a great week, my friend. Yeah. You do the same. And all right, folks, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off with Joe's shaking hand. Um, and if you like this episode, number 144, Do consider leaving us a review on iTunes, won't you? Please go over there and just leave us a five-star review um, because we love you and we really, really do. And we'll thank you personally if you hashtag us up at This Old Marketing on Twitter. And also, if you have story ideas, please send them over via the hashtag or through email at thisoldmarketing uh, at contentinstitute.com. We love those story ideas. We love those This Old Marketing examples. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that will be available in the show as we publish on Monday evening. And of course, in the show post in their full regalia on thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.